Good morning. Brett McGarry with Greg Mackling. We're actually going to visit with our buddy Christopher Sprague, who is the sommelier at 529 Wellington. He's coming in at 845 to talk about a possible wine shortage and uh, wine prices going up and, oh boy, real crisis. We are usually very much looking forward to a visit with Christopher. Not necessarily this morning because he has some bad news for wine connoisseurs. It has not been a good year globally for grapes which means probably reduced quality and in all likelihood higher prices for that reduced and inferior product. So it'll be uh, interesting to talk to Christopher as always, Uh, but this time it's a a little tainted. Sorry. No, no, I was just going to say, and sorry to interrupt you there, man. It's uh, going to be, if you want to pound some grape, it might Put a pounding on your wallet. It just might do that, and you might be wondering, where did the flavor go? What did you do with the flavor this year? <laughs> well, so uh, Christopher will join us later on this morning. Uh, tonight, of course, the Jets and the Predators get back on the ice downtown Winnipeg. I am determined to make it to this game tonight, Brett. Oh, well, what, what do you mean determined? That that, is, that implies that there is a possibility. That there's an option. You know what? I just, I've been feeling under the weather for about 10 days now, and I'm so excited about getting back into the downtown arena and, and uh, yelling my head off. But, you know, responsibility calls, and I'm concerned about being less than 100% for tomorrow morning, but uh, I'm making the declaration right now. I will go to the game tomorrow night. I may even go Thursday night. The game that starts at 8.30. I think I just might just come straight to work afterwards. It'll be an adventure. It an will adventurous be. week for Mackling. Absolutely. This is going to be exciting. I don't know. I highly doubt that the cooler temperatures today will put a damper on the street party outside of Bell MTS Place. I suppose there's a chance, but Winnipeg has Jets fever, man. And I don't think anything's going to deter folks from uh, heading downtown tonight, either inside or outside the building. And uh, the Manitoba Moose. Yeah. Congratulations to the Moose. They are advancing for the first time in their three-year history back in Manitoba since uh, they moved the farm team, the Winnipeg Jets did, from from St. John's Newfoundland and the Ice Caps to Manitoba. They defeated the Grand Rapids Griffins in uh, style last night, 5-1 in Grand Rapids, Michigan, which sets up a second-round meeting between the Baby Jets, I know some people don't like that terminology, the Baby Jets and the Ice, uh, the Rockford Ice Hogs uh, starting this weekend, in fact. Yep, that's right. Uh, game one is on Friday. Uh, it's a seven-game series now. The first series was a five-game series, and uh, the Moose won that one on the road, and... That that's right. It was on. It was in Grand Rapids that the Moose defeated the the Griffins last night. Yes. Yeah. Okay. Yes. So games one and two, Friday, Saturday, Bell MTS Place, seven p.m. on Friday, four p.m. on Saturday. And uh, I know that my uh, my buddy Kent and his boy Regan they've been ma- they've been going. I think they bought a like a package for okay. the playoffs. So oh, been, neat. So they've been checking out all the games. So yeah, they uh, they're both huge Moose fans. So this is exciting times to to be a hockey fan in the city. So a little bit of a double header on. Saturday night, right? Because the Jets and the Predators get underway 8.30 Saturday night as well. Okay. So you've got Moose in the afternoon, late in the afternoon, 4 o'clock. You should be able to get home, barring any extended overtime by 7, 7.30, I would think, at the very latest, unless there's a crazy long overtime game. And then uh, just uh, ease your way right into some Jets-Predators and uh, Game 5 on Saturday night. That's right. And then the next uh, game's 3, 4, 5. Game 5, if necessary.
Jerry would be in uh, Rockford, and then six and seven will be back in. Oh, Winnipeg. nice! So the so the Moose actually have home ice advantage in that series. That's terrific. That's right. The the two three two format. What which format do you prefer? I've always liked the the two two one one one. But I do too, and I've always also wondered if sometimes the two two one one two could be altered somewhat for the home team or the team with the most points that would have home ice advantage to decide whether they want to start on the road or start at home because the Jets have now taken home ice advantage away from Nashville by gaining that split in the first two games. So all the Jets have to do is win their home games now. They don't have to win again in Nashville. They just have to take care of business at home and they will win the series in six games. If you're Nashville, maybe you prefer to come to Winnipeg, see if you can gain the split and then take care of business at home. There, there, there may be, there's been conversation around that. I don't think they'll ever change it. But in terms of the two three two, I'm not a big fan of the two three two. Yeah, I'm not. A, I've never been a fan either. And I understand if it's a logistics thing or if it's a cost thing or whatever. I get all of that. Um, but I know that the the NBA for many years, I believe they would they were they would only do two three two in the finals. And it always drove me nuts. I just right. hated it. I hated it. Well, because it. they're going east coast to west coast, typically, or vice versa. And so it was about travel for the players yeah. and not wanting to uh, overly tax them in terms oh. of traveling from coast to coast. But Ooh-hoo. wipe yeah. your tears with your millions of dollars. Well, I think that was more back in the day when they still flied commercial yeah. fairly often. So, uh, you know, in the, uh, in the, in the <laughs> days of, of chartered aircraft, it's not as big of a deal now to go back and forth coast to coast coast so uh yeah i'm not a huge fan of the 232 612 on 680 cjob and as you heard uh before we move on here as you heard uh in jeff ron's newscast to start the hour driest april in 30 years in case you missed it the the stats from mike conkin from global news global weather specialist fourth driest on record since 1872 not good Average rainfall in April is usually 30 millimeters. Mm-hmm. This year we saw 6% of that at 1.7 millimeters. Ooh, you know the old saying, April showers bring Mayflowers. Uh, are we going to get, um, what do Mayflowers bring? Uh, lots of golf. Pilgrims. <laughs> <laughs> Jerry had his hand up. He knew. <laughs> Jerry, you got to jump in on these things. Sorry, pal. Uh, Anyway, that's, steal your thunder. That's uh from that's a little that's a little kid's joke, right? Um, but it'll be you know, what's gonna happen in May now? I, I raked up the leaves a little bit on uh, Sunday with uh with the help of the boys and uh, we're already getting a little bit of greening, but it is super dry. It's tinder dry. Yeah. As we know, there are fire bans. There's no no fire, no burning at all allowed in the city of Winnipeg. We'll talk a little bit about that this morning. And there's parts of Manitoba where there are fire bans as well. Yeah, there are there's some ATV restrictions in spots. Uh, so we we the Reeve of Stuartburn lost his home, obliterated by fire. We'll hear that story a bit later this morning. And, uh, yeah, so this is a potentially dangerous time for a lot of southern Manitoba. So we will keep you up to date on all of those situations as we go through the day. There is some maybe a chance of drizzle this morning, but no significant rainfall in the immediate forecast. Hopefully we'll get some rain soon. Brett, some good news on the gas price front. Oh? I noticed this on the way in this morning. 
at the co-op on McLeod and Henderson. Beauty. Of course, they are not open 24 hours, so I'm wondering what's going on. I know I fueled up yesterday afternoon around 4 o'clock at 130.9, uh-huh. so that I'm thinking that drop must have happened late yesterday afternoon, early evening. Are they going to bump it right back up again because the 24-hour stations were all at 130.9? Quick check of gasbuddy.com, 121.9 is the new normal. Good. In Winnipeg, you can still find it for 118.9 at a couple of the Costco's at 118.9. So if you're seeing 130.9, that's an outdated price. Don't go there. Yeah, and the the, the, the gas stations on Marion, I think, were $1.18.9. You know, the Domo and the Husky that yeah, are I think. always warring with each other. Mm-hmm. I think they were $1.18.9 on Sunday, if I'm not mistaken. But so the gas price has just dropped around $0.09. Cents. Does that mean it's going to go up? To something like a buck thirty-five. Who knows what's happening? I mean, we're seeing what's happening in Vancouver, right? One sixty-one nine in some spots, and then the Lower Mainland, which is absolutely unfathomable. Yeah. It's a brand new record for North America for retail gasoline prices. So we will talk about that later on this morning. Uh, let us know what you're seeing. Is it changing your habits in terms of how you buy your gas? Uh, are you are you rolling the dice a little bit? Are you waiting for the price to maybe go down? I just texted Jackie. I said, gas prices are down this morning. Make sure you fill up. You know, I got stuck paying 130.9 yesterday because I waited too long because I had seen it at less than that. So we'll talk about that. Uh, the big conversation today, though, has to be the Winnipeg Jets. Nashville Predators in town for game three of their best of seven series, which is tied at one right now. It also means another street party, a big opportunity for Winnipeggers to show their pride to get together in downtown Winnipeg. And on the subject of the White House, whiteout parties and how they've gone so far yesterday, Kathy Kennedy in for Hal Anderson, she's in for Hal for the next couple of weeks, spoke to Kevin Donnelly, Senior Vice President, Venues and Entertainment for True North Sports and Entertainment. Well, Kev, you and I have been around this city and, and certainly around in the 1.0 era. Do you ever mm-hmm. remember this kind of excitement in the city? Truthfully, I, you know, I really don't. This, this has taken on an, an unprecedented level of just... I think goodwill, I think good feelings, I think positivity. Uh, we're recognizing that something special is, is, is evolving here and, and, uh, and that we're showcasing it well. I think that everyone's doing a really great job of embracing it and treating it with some respect and, and, and showing well amongst our peers, whether you're Toronto, Vancouver, Nashville, you know, some other market in the States, uh, we're holding our own and then some. Well, and, and I think that's the one thing that Winnipeggers are loving is the fact that, you know, we are really putting us and our fans on the world stage and by being classy, well, even more so. Talk, talk to us about uh, this weekend at the arena. Lots showed up just to watch the game on the good old Jumbotron. Yeah, you know, we, we had the, you know, not an original thought, but we had the thought that people do want to get together, whether it's a live game or not, and, and so we opened the doors to the arena. Uh, thousands came out, uh, had about five or 6,000 Friday, but the same number stayed the duration last night. It, the, the vibe was just fantastic. It was kids, it was adults, people painted faces and costumes, and really, really a positive uh, environment inside, and the excitement, the intensity, it was everything. It was everything that you'd expect from a live hockey game people yelling at P.K. Subban on a screen. <laughs> they also discussed what's next for the Whiteout Party. We're expanding uh, yet again, taking a piece of uh, Smith Street. We have got uh, the largest screen we could get our hands on for East on Graham. Um, the capacities, you know, I think we're in around the 20,000-plus 
uh, attendance we, we can accommodate. So more screens, more food trucks, more toilets, more fencing, more, more, more of everything. Um, the, the timing of it, we have a 7 o'clock puck drop, so the gates always open two hours before um, the, the start of the hockey game. So gates to the party will open at 5, and the puck drops at 7. So with each game, Kevin, you've had to expand uh, this this party guest list. I mean, can you imagine if we make it to the... I mean, you might as well shut downtown down if we make it to the cup finals. <laughs> well, we're hoping not to do that. But, you know, the uh, at a certain point, I suppose, you know, we will hit a logistic cap of like, is there enough toilets to rent? Is there enough fencing to, to, to lay out? Um, so far, you know, every department, city, police, fire, working with us, just recognizing... This is something that the town is is requesting. People want to come out. The behavior's been great. We need to make sure people continue to behave at their best and 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 help us showcase our community and our market as as well as we have and as well as we can. Um, but you know, go Jets, go. We're ready to keep keep programming. You know, again, we're twenty thousand plus. If you come and we're full, have a plan B so you can go to another pub or someplace. You know, the Forks or wherever else you might want to go watch a game. Um, but so far, so good. It's just been really, really incredible. Uh, Kevin Donnelly, True North uh, Sports and Entertainment. He's their senior president of venues and entertainment for TNSC. He also said that they're planning to add some live entertainment as they go along. It'll be interesting to see if they keep the two-hour prior to puck drop uh, rule in effect on Thursday night. The game doesn't get underway till 8.30, which would mean the street party wouldn't start until 6.30. It'd be... Uh, be watching that to see if they alter that somewhat. Now, tonight, there's going to be a flyover of two Canadian forces, CF-18s, which will be really cool, a great tribute to the fans and to the city of Winnipeg. You've gotten a fly in one of these jets before, haven't you? I have, yeah, the CF-18 wow. Hornet. This goes back to about 2006 or probably 2007. And uh, I was in, they, you know, they had the... The air show, the Manitoba air show over at Southport uh, by Portage La Prairie. So uh, they, various media had opportunities to to fly in different aircraft. I think uh, one went up with um, there's a, there's a team of uh, parachuters. I think so. I th- there was that, and I got to fly in a CF-18, and uh, the pilot's name was Captain Fat Daddy. I was not allowed. I didn't actually get his name, his given name. His as far as he was concerned as a pilot. That was his name. They, I guess they all have the name, so I thought that was really cool. And he had a, like a patch on his shoulder that indicated that, and I think it was on his helmet too. And uh, we did a flyover of Canada Stadium, which was organized last second too. They, when I got there, they thought, "Oh, there's a bomber game tonight. What if we did? Uh, what if we did a flyover?" And I said, well, "Okay." And uh, but then they had to call the mayor. I think <laughs> they had to get some clearance. They had to get clearance from yeah. Clarence. But it was uh, it was funny because I remember when we did the flyover because the aircraft banked super hard. We flew over and then we banked and went back, and uh, I was essentially on a ninety degree angle at one point. And the 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 G's that we were pulling, uh, the suit that you wear it inflates. It's got these inflatable uh, cushion bags. Okay, I, I don't know the terminology. Okay, but the whole suit inflates to help prevent you from, I guess, exploding. I don't. <laughs> <laughs> Passing out, I guess, at the very least. I'm interested to know how long did it take to get from Portage La Prairie to where we are right now and back? Uh, I think it was in the air for maybe an hour. Maybe. It was because uh, the thing I think can go up to 
600 or 800 kilometers an hour. And yet, like, we took off and were in the air in no time at all, and it felt like we weren't moving. It was so nice to be in an air, to be in the air, but not have any turbulence or any shaking. It was a wonderful experience, and uh, it was one of probably the most thrilling experience of my life. Uh, and I even had the opportunity to take the controls, but I was too chicken. I didn't want to crash oh, come a plane. On. Yeah, I regret Those that. Planes are only about seventy million each. Come on, <laughs> big deal. Manitoba Air Show, by the way, this year's is July seventh and eighth, uh, Southport Airport, mbairshow.ca. The Canadian Armed Forces will be doing a flyover over tonight's Jets game and the street party with two CF-18 fighter jets. Brett shared his story of riding in a CF-18 and once upon a time. And I guess, to, what, what did Tim, Tim texted in and said those, those airbags were to prevent you from passing out, right? Yeah, it says prevents the blood rushing to your head and passing out. I just thought it would be funnier to, to imagine that it was preventing me from exploding. exploding? Yeah, let's go with that, though. <laughs> Thanks, Tim, but we're, we're going with the more fun option. Yeah. Uh, we're also going to talk with Gather the Troops here and discuss our... Brushes with greatness. And then to get to Jeff's story, we first have to go through Shanna Lee, because Shanna Lee, when we were talking about thrilling experiences, you piped up and said that you used to to get you used to see your favorite bands backstage. Yeah, back when I was uh, when I was a lot younger, when I was a teenager, and probably should be going to shouldn't went to concerts I shouldn't have been going to. Aha! Uh, We're learning more about Channel <laughs> Vidal. I, I had a, a certain younger years. Certain band I really liked, and every time they were in town, I would do whatever I could to get in and see them in concert. I behaved myself. I. You know, never did anything anything else I shouldn't have done. But we were always welcomed backstage because I guess we became such a fixture. It's like, oh, you guys, go go right on up. And so I actually had a book, all the clippings regarding this band and all the pictures I took and everything. I had a little photo book and I, I showed it to them and they thought that was just awesome. So I was kind of really into them and the uh, singer of the band actually took the album and he actually wrote right on it and he wrote this is almost accomplished work fantastic yeah did they think it was awesome or just scary (laughs) 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 come on just just make sure she thinks we're happy and everything will be okay don't make eye contact just back (laughs) away slowly anything like that not, not that particular band. No. Oh, <laughs> oh God. I mean, another band? <laughs> oh, we're learning more about SLV every single day. Jerry, I have a feeling you've got, you've got good uh, interaction stories with famous people along uh, the way. Well, I, I actually got to meet uh, Kenny Rogers once. Uh, and he, uh, there was actually men on uh, men who look like Kenny Rogers.com who looked more like Kenny Rogers at that point because this is after he had all the facial surgeries and, and facelifts and whatnot. It did not look like Kenny Rogers. For the first little bit, I, I, I didn't think it was actually him. Um, but uh, so that was really cool. He was really nice, and I got to just hang out with him for about 10 minutes. It was just me, him, and, uh, and uh, a coworker of mine uh, hanging out. And But one of the really cool things I got to do is I got to meet Marty Stewart. When I was growing up, Marty Stewart was one of my favorite country artists, and I had everything the guy had ever recorded, and I was a huge super fan, and everyone thinks, Marty who? But Marty Stewart was was like the ultimate to me. He, he was like he was he was like the country version of Freddie Mercury to me. And uh, I actually got to meet him, and I just hung out with him for about half an hour backstage after his show was done. It was just me and him. And That's we were cool. just chatting, and it was really cool. That was one of the 
coolest moments. Now, on Twitter, over the last three or four days, it's been hot to talk about your most mundane interactions with celebrities. And, Jeff, you've got a pretty mundane interaction with a pretty big celebrity. Yeah, I probably had a couple to choose from because we we get celebrities through the radio station every now and then. This was uh, a phoner. Um, I was in the newsroom. The phone rang. I answered it. Good morning, 680 CJOB Newsroom. And on the other end, a voice goes, Hey, this is Gary Coleman. I'm supposed to be on the air with you guys. And I said, okay. And I transferred him <laughs> to the studio line. <laughs> I mean, once upon a time, Gary Coleman was one of the most recognizable people uh, in North America, for sure, right? Oh, yeah. And you, I could tell by his voice, I was, that's, it actually threw me off. I think that's why I just said okay and then just hit the transfer well, you, button. You said that, that talking to him or speaking with him reminded you of somebody... It sounded like a guy doing a Gary Coleman impression, yeah. <laughs> but it was, it was actually like, oh, him. I guess Gary Coleman would sound like a guy doing a Gary <laughs> Coleman impression. What about you, Greg? You ever get to meet Sammy Hagar and get disappointed? No, I got to meet <laughs> Sammy Hagar and I was not disappointed. You met Sammy Hagar? Yeah, in, in Cabo San Lucas, outside his bar. He's the nicest guy. We had such a great time just leaning on his truck, just chit-chatting with him after following a rehearsal for the New Year's Eve show. Outside his bar? Yeah. How often do people actually run into the person that the thing is named after. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, it doesn't happen very often. Like, you ever see Gretzky eating at his restaurant in Toronto? Never, never. Wayne Gretzky and uh, the LA Kings used to come to Chi-Chi's all the time, (laughs) all the wrestlers and all the Jets and stuff. Uh, But probably the coolest but most mundane thing was riding in a car for two and a half hours with Warren Moon from Brandon to the Winnipeg International Airport. Warren Moon was doing a a dinner act in, uh, in Minnedosa. And was staying in Brandon overnight because there wasn't a hotel fancy enough for Mr. Moon in in Minnedosa. And my dad was on the committee and said, do you feel like driving Warren Moon to the airport on Sunday morning? Sure. Why not? Got up at 4 o'clock, drove to Brandon, picked him up at 7.30, turned around, came back and came in after breakfast, did the health report on Sunday. It was just a regular Sunday. <laughs> Well, that is bizarre. Yeah, you just, still... just sitting in the car, chit-chatting with Warren Moon. Did you guys exchange cool. uh, email addresses? Yeah, I do have his email address. Really? Actually, yes. Nice. Yes, I haven't used it, though. I, I've felt awkward uh, using it. I've got an experience that comes to mind. Mundane, probably not for me, but for the guy on the other end. When I was a teenager, I want to say it was about 15, when the Winnipeg Thunder uh, we're here. And then one of the players' names, you might remember it, it's J.J. Eubanks. Or as the announcer used to say, J.J. Eubanks. He used to hit the odd three, right? Oh, he would, he would launch from half court sometimes. But he was at a card shop that was on Regent Avenue, uh, where the Domo is at Regent and Lash. There was a card shop tucked into there. And yeah, J.J. Eubanks was there with another member of the Thunder. I think his name was Alan Level. And uh, so I like I really liked J.J. Eubanks. While my friends all wanted to be NBA stars, I was I liked J.J. Eubanks. I loved the Winnipeg Thunder. So I was peppering him with all these annoying questions. I guess it was the start of my, you know, I was doing a, an interview with him, and he was so annoyed. I still remember the look. Really, at his, oh, <laughs> he was trying to be nice, but you can see he did the thing where he kind of looked out of the side of his eyes, like, "Was this guy ever going to shut up?" <laughs> and uh, <laughs> so I still remember that to this day that I made JJ Eubanks miserable. Well, it's the best. It's the be- one of the best things about Winnipeg is just kind of bumping into people randomly. I was at uh, Joe Daly's shop. 
just the other day on St. Mary's picking up some beautiful work that Travis had done uh, for my boys, a uh, Matthew Perot jersey. And I walk in and there's this guy telling NHL stories about this playoff series and that game and this game, whatever. I'm just sitting listening and I realize it's Wayne Babich. Dave Babich's brother, yeah. and uh, he lives in Winnipeg, and uh, yeah, just you know, telling stories about the old NHL days. You gotta love stuff like that. This season's been a treat for Winnipeg hockey fans. Yeah, I was gonna say, never mind the rain shortage in these parts, a wine shortage elsewhere. And uh, our next guest knows a thing or two about wine, but that's not why we've brought him into the studio. This season has been a massive treat for Winnipeg hockey fans. Tonight, cra- crowds will gather to watch the Jets take on the Predators, of course, in game three. Around two, and the Manitoba Moose, as we told you earlier, have made their way to the second round of the playoffs for the first time. And there, since their return to Winnipeg, uh, Kelly Moore, let's start with the Jets. What do they have to do to win game three tonight? Uh, you know what? It, it's going to be a, a, a pick em. I I think they play the same way they did in game two and let the chips fall where they may. I, I don't think they have to change. I mean, there'll be a few adjustments here and there. People will probably say, don't pinch so much, don't pinch so much. But that is what their success is predicated upon. Yeah, what's a when, pick em? And, Pardon me? So what's a pick em? A, a pick em is it could go either way. Okay. You know, if both of these teams play the way they're capable of, then it could be another double overtime game, and it's whoever blinks first. It is that competitive a series. And I guess the one advantage I think that the Jets have, and certainly going into this series, you might not have thought that, that way, but right now the Jets, have, I think, have the advantage between the pipes. I think Connor Hellebuck is a little more steadier between the ears than Pekka Rene, and, and it's difficult to say that when you look at Rene's pedigree and the experience that he has, but Connor Hellebuck is outplaying him right now. Let's talk about something that maybe uh, everyday hockey fans don't take into account, and that's the fact because the Jets are at home tonight, they will be able to have the second or the last line change. And talk about how that might play into the game tonight and whether or not you think it will, Kelly. I don't think it will, Greg, only because the teams are very comfortable with the matchups that they were using in Nashville. So I don't think any of that changes at all. Paul Maurice spoke about this yesterday, and uh, where he sees the uh, the difference playing at home is the energy that that white-clad crowd is going to bring. And it's kind of interesting how some of the rivalry has developed here. You know, you, you often hear about things that are going on on the ice. Well, uh, you know, the Jets kind of said, well, our, our crowd's a little more savvy. They don't need to be orchestrated like the Nashville crowd. <laughs> so it's more real. Authentic, <laughs> Nashville's crowd has to be orchestrated? Well, just in terms of um, the, the, the Winnipeg crowd responds to what's going on hockey-wise, the Nashville crowd responds to all the theatrics that are going on in the arena oh, Okay, that we don't necessarily see at home. Because a lot of that's during the TV breaks and that type of thing. So, yep. yeah. So, I, I don't know whether it's just, you know, playing mind games and that sort of thing. I mean, at the end of the day, the game's played on the ice. And uh, uh, I don't, I shouldn't say this, but as a hockey purist, it doesn't matter, I think, as much as long as the hockey is played like it was in game two. I mean, the outcome is going to be the outcome. And I know Jets fans want Winnipeg to win, and I get that. But, as a as a hockey purist, I just want to see what I saw Sunday night. That well, was beyond entertaining, as yeah. uh, heart stopping as it was at time for fans. 
Um, just wanted a quick reminder as well that there is going to be a whiteout party as well in Selkirk. Uh, they are getting ready for that. That's at uh, 5 30, 5 p.m., sorry, Tuesday, 5 p.m., Manitoba Avenue, uh, East End. Greg, I actually wanted to ask you, because mm. it was you who pointed out the Nashville chant, the way that they rail on uh, opposing team goalies. Do you think Winnipeg's fans will incorporate that into their repertoire this evening? Well, it's been a staple for a long time in Winnipeg oh, to yeah. chant the goaltender's name. It's not as orchestrated as it is in Nashville. Uh, thank you, Hellebuck. May we have another Hellebuck, <laughs> Hellebuck, Hellebuck. Yeah. You suck. Um, yeah, it's not as orchestrated. It's simply the... Rene, Rene. So uh, tonight it'll tonight though it'll be Subban, Subban for sure. There has been some concern about this, and I didn't ask you about it, Kelly, about the perception of because PK Subban is uh, is a is a is a is a person of color. I know, I know. And the the Winnipeg Jets fans are all dressed in white. Is it appropriate for the fans? To boo P.K. Subban. They had no problem booing Dustin Bufflin in Nashville on, right. on, on, it, on, on, on Sunday night. It has nothing to do with that and everything to do with the kind of player P.K. Subban is. And we, and we discussed this a little bit yesterday. He is a charismatic, he is an outgoing, personality-filled individual. And I don't care if he's pink, purple, or green. That's just the way that it is. It has absolutely nothing to do with his skin tone. I think that is just a big bunch of crap. So if you feel like booing P.K. Subban tonight. Boo him. Boo him and, and wear white because you know what? That's what Winnipeg was doing for the Minnesota Wildsters. If they were doing it all of a sudden, then maybe somebody might have a, a branch rather than a twig to be uh, leading on on that story. What up? Bunch of garbage. I uh, couldn't agree with you uh, more, and well said, uh, Kelly Moore. Uh, last thing before I let you run, yesterday I brought up the name Matthew Perot, who's been out of the lineup, I guess, since game one. Since against, game one, he, against uh, he against hurt the right shoulder, right? yeah. Uh, he was in a, what they call a full contact yeah. uh, uniform yesterday. Ready for combat if needed. Do, do you see him dialing in tonight? I don't, I don't know. I, uh, I would have to say that... Uh, I would think that they'll wait for one more game just to see how this plays out. Uh, just to, you know, they've always said they want that player at 100% uh, efficiency to uh, put him into the best position to succeed. So I don't think there's the need to rush him into this series. Joe Morrow in for uh, Toby Instrom? No. Why? I'm just asking. No, the, no, no. I'm the just masses, <laughs> the masses are demanding it. Oh, okay. The masses are oh, okay. demanding so it. Okay, so that's from yeah. Yes, that's, that's from Jets Nation, not from Greg Mack. Okay. No, no, no. <laughs> just a question. <laughs> <laughs> Kelly Moore, thank you very much again. Puck drops tonight at seven o'clock. What up, party? It is so much easier to watch a series when you don't really have that much skin in the game that you're just enjoying the hockey. Yeah, I like having skin in the game. It's a nice Understood. change. Understood. Understood. 100%. I, I get that. But that's why my reactions are the way they are. So I, and I love it. I'm not going to apologize for that, uh, but that's why they're they're just more hockey related. Than, I love it, Kelly. Well, Appreciate yeah, it. Don't apologize. It was funny. That sound makes... Way for Breakfast with the Bombers, it's brought to you by the Cooperators. Find an advisor at cooperators.ca, a better place for you. Single game tickets for the Winnipeg Blue Bombers go on sale this 
morning at 10 a.m. To tell us more, we are joined by Wade Miller, President and CEO of the Winnipeg Football Club. Mr. Miller, good morning, sir. Good morning. How are you guys this morning? Doing well. How about yourself, Wade? You getting caught up in uh, all the sports action right now? Moose, Jets, Gold Eyes. The pressure's on, man. It's a great time to be a sports fan in Winnipeg, that's for sure, and show the rest of the country what... uh, you know what our fans are made of and and you sure see it across the country i was uh, in meetings in toronto yesterday and that's all people are talking about as well what, what amazing fans winnipeg has and that's exactly right well and i think we're going to continue to show them throughout the football season 31 days 11 hours 52 minutes until kickoff for the first preseason game against the edmonton eskimos it's coming a little bit earlier this year wade yeah, the, right. We moved the schedule up uh, a week to accommodate a 21-week schedule, uh, you know, to help with uh, player safety and, and availability on dates uh, for stadiums. So, you know, we get football a week earlier this year, which means everything gets moved up, and uh, so do the uh, on-sale individual game day tickets, which started today, so at or starts today at 10 o'clock. And I also see here, I'm just looking at the news release you sent yesterday that on uh, for the regular season home opener, Thursday, June 14th against Edmonton, that's going to feature a special halftime concert performance. Uh, I don't I don't suppose you feel like uh, loosening the lips a little bit on that, would you? Uh, no, I don't. Uh, <laughs> but yes, you're right. There'll be a great halftime show uh, sponsored by Apple Music, uh, which is the kickoff to the CFL season as well. And then you'll see... Uh, a whole schedule come out of uh, more halftime uh, shows as well throughout the year and also in our pregame uh, pregame stage on our tailgate area this year too so we'll have a lot more uh, live halftime entertainment shows and uh, just continue to build on that uh, fandom in the stadium and boy I'll tell you last year was pretty exciting uh, and loud with our fans and Looking forward to it again this year. So let's talk about the different ways you can get tickets in terms of single game seats. Do you have to pick all your games in advance? Are there some options, Wade, that you can that you can engage in with the with the football club to guarantee yourself a seat for for primo games? Yeah, it's still the most affordable way is actually to buy season tickets for yourself, which you can do right up to the uh, first uh, home opener regular season game, and those tickets are actually forty percent off uh, your regular individual game day ticket price uh so that's your best option and you know what do you get well you get that discount you get to sit in the same seat every every game build that uh community and that family around you of the same people in the seats a bunch of other benefits and and if you can't make all the games we have the ability for you to swap out a ticket at the end of the year or uh donate it to united way and actually get a tax receipt back and then some uh, well-deserving youth get to go to the game and, and you get to take them to the game. So that, that's the most affordable way. We also have flex packs, uh, primetime flex packs, which is a home opener, manageable, and the other Saskatchewan game is one of them, so multiple packs. And then as, as we talked about, 10 o'clock today, individual game day tickets go on sale and you can just choose which game you want to go to. Uh, you can do that through bluebombers.com or, or calls as well. So at uh, 204-784-2583. And I see as well that uh, there's something new this year for 2018. It's called the U25 Student Zone. Yeah, so we have uh, in our um, north end where our Fanatic Fan Zone is, right beside it we have a U, uh, U25 uh, Student Zone. So for our students, uh, a little more affordable ticket uh, for them in the lower bowl um, and a great opportunity for them to uh, get engaged with the football club. 
bringing back Section S, Wade. I like this idea. I was a season ticket holder in Section S, and you mentioned the whole idea of community and getting to know the people around you. There are people that I sat with way back in 1989, 90, uh, that I still bump into around the city, and we still have that camaraderie. We still have that sense of, of friendship and kinship over the Blue Bombers and our time in Section S together. Yeah, and I'm sure you were a student for that whole period of time, right? So um, I'm just kidding. But the uh, it's, it is something unique and special when you sit with the same group of people as you talked about and that connection that you make for life. And, uh, you know, you see it throughout the stadium in different pockets of it in different sections. And it's a really cool experience to uh, see that and be a part of that. Hey, uh, Wade, uh, while we've got you here, I'm just wondering if you have any thoughts uh, you'd like to share on uh, the mini camp that just took place. Yeah, you know, it was a great uh, great uh, three days of uh, practice for the guys out there. Um, you know, a lot of rookie receivers and DBs, which was the focus of it. And, uh, you know, that's a culmination of, uh, you know, three scouts working extremely hard all year to bring in those uh, those, those talented players to see who's going to go on to training camp. So um, it, was, it was good, and there was uh, tough choices that the coaches and scouting staff had to make, and then that's what you want to see, a high level of competition. So, Wade, I think the CFL's done an amazing job of rebranding itself and really coordinating its schedule towards that of the fans, uh, acknowledging the fact that that you can be a football fan and follow the National Football League and the CFL at the same time for as many fans as there are exclusively of the CFL. There are folks that do follow the NFL as well. They had their big uh, NFL draft. It's a huge production over two or three days down in Dallas. And now immediately following that, we're going to have a Thursday night draft, which I think is a fantastic idea to really put it into prime time and, and highlight how important this is for building a franchise. Oh, absolutely, and it'll be great. Uh, you know, be on uh, TSN uh, TV uh, Thursday night. It's great for each one of those kids, and a, and a special night um, for each each athlete and football player that gets drafted. And and uh, so it's great that as a league, we're bumping up that exposure for those kids. Uh, special day for them and their family, and uh, we look forward to a great draft. And our general manager and Kyle and Walters and. His staff have done a great job over the last few years and really building our Canadian depth. And we're in a different position going in this draft of, you know, we don't need a Canadian to come in and start next year. We need to find a couple of great athletes that can develop into great football players. Well, Wade, we appreciate your time on this this morning. Uh, looking forward to hearing how ticket sales go. How are season ticket renewals and how season ticket sales going? Yeah, season ticket renewals are going really well. It was a really strong weekend of new season tickets. Um, we have a family package of season tickets now, and you can go to every game, a family of four for $66, including your uh, parking pass. So uh, very affordable entertainment for families um, with youth tickets starting at $15. So uh, really seeing some uh, momentum with the families as well. All right, Wade Miller, thank you very much for joining us this morning. Have a good day, sir. You as well. Thank you. All right. That is Wade Miller. He is he's the boss. He is the president and CEO of the Winnipeg Football Club. And again, all that information can be found at bluebombers.com slash tickets. 745.
on 680 CJOB. And again, those tickets go on sale at 10 this morning. And they start as low as $27.25 plus fees. Greg and Brett with you. Good morning. Human nature is that I think for the most part we trust one another. And it's very disturbing, very bothersome when that trust is broken. couple stories of that. As we make our way towards 8 o'clock, a disturbing case of fraud has emerged out of the Humboldt Broncos tragedy. Tom and Michelle Strasnitsky have been has seen the best in people over the last three weeks as their son has worked to recover after being paralyzed in the crash between his hockey team's bus and a transport truck. On Monday, they also saw the worst. Tom Strashnitsky said he woke up early and was alerted on Twitter that someone using Ryan's name had set up a fake account and was seeking money for a GoFundMe campaign. Jill Croto of Global News reports. This is something the family has called disgusting and consider it pretty shameful. The page featured an image of Ryan and a photo of his teammates. It also invited people to donate to a bogus account raising funds for the families of the Broncos. Neither Ryan or his family was aware of it until this morning. The account has now been removed and the GoFundMe page has also been suspended. Ryan has been a brave source of inspiration after suffering paralysis following the bus crash that claimed the lives of 16 others. Many on social media flagged it and expressed outrage that anyone would capitalize on this tragedy. But the Better Business Bureau expected this international story would trigger scam artists. Unfortunately, the reality is that this kind of scam happens repeatedly and we really want people to be aware of um, not making an emotional rash decision because these kinds of instances really tug on the heartstrings and people are so eager and so willing to give any way they can and that's great. However, we really want to take a step back do some research, ask some questions, and make sure that your donation is getting to those people who need it. RCMP are aware, but say it's challenging to track the person responsible. The BBB said similar fake fundraiser fundraisers also emerged following Calgary's floods and the fires in Fort McMurray. And for years, Brett, we've been told that the way to go in terms of planning for your own eventual demise is to pre-plan your funeral. I think it's a great idea. Well... Of course, the best laid plans sometimes can be interrupted by scrupulous people. A former funeral home director is accused of defrauding several Winnipeg customers out of thousands of dollars. Winnipeg police say between the years 2000 and 2015, at least nine people purchased prepaid funeral plans from Kanish Funeral Chapel, which was operated by Mike Kanish. Under law, money from prepaid plans must be held in a trust. But police allege that money, some $35,000, was instead stolen. Here's Sergeant Sean Veldman with the Winnipeg Police Services Financial Crimes Unit. People prepay, prearrange, and then the discovery that the money isn't there is when you go to get the money. Now, police have also accused Kanish of creating 13 fake death certificates for people who were not dead, allegedly collecting $83,000 in insurance policies. Kanish has been charged with 11 counts of fraud and 13 counts of forgery. He's been released on bail. If you are concerned about your funeral plans, Veldman suggests reaching out to the industry's regulatory board. They'll have paperwork or documentation that says it's uh, the money is held in trust at you know whatever financial institution. They can absolutely uh, do that. Uh, what we've 
uh, recommended is they contact the funeral board of Manitoba. They're the regulatory body for this industry. And if they have questions on how to find out specifically, you know, uh, should I be concerned if I have questions, go to them and the funeral board would be able to direct them and uh, give them a little, answer some of the very specific questions that, that you may be asking. Kanish Funeral Homes also operated a location out of Beausajour. That funeral home was destroyed by fire in 2013. Police say another funeral home in the city is under investigation. Wheeler Funeral Home, however, they say they are not able to comment on that particular investigation. Boy, that just, uh, that to, to borrow a phrase from, uh, is it... Uh, from King of the Hill, grind my gears, or is that from the Family Guy? Uh, family Guy. That really grinds my gears when I hear of people taking advantage of those who are at their most desperate time, people who are trying to do the best thing possible for their family to take some stress off of them in terms of pre-planning their funeral. Uh, we do have a more happy ending to this segment. Yes, uh, we, there is on the subject of GoFundMe pages, in case you were just tuning in and missed it earlier, there is in fact now a GoFundMe page that has been set up in the wake of the three boys who were killed in Nelson House by an alleged drunk driver. Two 11-year-old boys and a 13-year-old boy were killed on Saturday night. A GoFundMe page was opened up to help the families pay for the funerals. And the goal was $25,000. Well, now that goal is $100,000 because they made the money immediately. They're now at $32,579. So that's up a little bit from just this morning. So uh, once again, tremendous generosity on display. And again, if you want to, uh, you can find a link to that at our website, cjob.com, or you can just shoot us an email and we'll send it directly to you. Brett at cjob.com, gmac at cjob.com. You can also text us at 204-780-6868. The Bothwell guy we talked to yesterday, he's on Global News Morning right now, and he brought them cheese. Yeah, that's a little fishy, right? Because We didn't didn't get cheese. We invited him to come into the studio, and then I was like, at least you could fax some over. (laughs) So we could try your award-winning cheese. Oh, yes! This is the song, the first song from the first band I ever saw in concert. And that is the announcement. Greg, who is coming to the Winnipeg? The Headstones are coming to Winnipeg. Burton Cummings Theatre, August 18th. Tickets go on sale May 4th. That's this coming Friday at 10 a.m. Turn that music back up, Jerry. Tickets go on sale, by the way, this Friday, uh, 10 a.m., May 4th. Just a quick story here with the Headstones. So the, the first time I saw them perform was in June of 1995. This was at the Red River X. And they were opening for The Watchmen. So they come out, whereas I'm on the floor. There's chairs all, all, like, the floor was organized. It wasn't just open. It wasn't like rush. It was just, we all bought tickets and had seats. But Hugh Dillon comes out, and he says, lose the chairs. So immediately, there's this flood of people that rush the stage. And halfway through the Headstones show, like, I had to stand on my chair. I was about 10 rows back. I was just on the edge of the chaos that ended up ensuing in front of me. Halfway through the headstones, people started jumping the, the grandstand. Oh, great. Because this was back when the X was at the stadium. So when the headstones were done, great show, by the way. They were amazing. Everyone who was on the floor had to leave so that people with actual floor tickets could come back in. So we all had to leave and then come back in. It was, it was a bit of a... Uh, a show. Yes, yeah, so a show. A certain kind of show. 
And you knew exactly what I was thinking. Oh, yes. I think lots of other people will <laughs> as well. The Watchmen were here on Saturday night. We didn't get to go and see that. It was preoccupied with something else, a prior commitment. Uh, we were talking earlier behind the glass, Jerry, about our interactions, mundane and otherwise, with famous people along the way. And... Hugh Dillon, does this qualify as mundane? Uh, I maybe I don't Stereotypical know. Stereotypical for sure. Yeah, in in fall of '96, I saw the Headstones play at a small dive bar in North Bay, Ontario, and I actually got to go hang out with them backstage afterwards. And uh, I walked in the room, and there's there's uh, Hugh Dillon just sitting there. He looks up at me. Now, yet picture me. I had hair all one length, you know, down past my shoulders. Yeah, wearing a leather jacket. He looks at me and he goes, you got any drugs? <laughs> you fit the profile, Jerry. <laughs> First words that man ever spoke to me. I think probably the last words he ever spoke to me as well because I said no. <laughs> right on. And away he went. Oh, and there's, you know what? I think there's also a pre-sale password There is. This. I have it. I have it for oh. you. I wrote it down on my hand. Oh. My mom always said don't write down on, on your hand, but I had to write it down to make sure that we shared it with you. Now, this pre-sale code is valid from tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. until the Wednesday evening at 10 p.m. No, today's Tuesday. So tomorrow is Wednesday. Yeah. So it's valid from Wednesday morning until Thursday evening at 10 p.m. And then tickets go on sale Friday morning at 10 for the Headstones, Saturday, August 18th, Saturday night. How can you go wrong? The pre-sale code is PERFORM, P-E-R-F-O-R-M for the... For those of you that are uh, challenged on the spelling side, perform, and that's valid from tomorrow morning at 10 a.m. until Thursday evening at 10 p.m. at Ticketmaster.ca. And we do have tickets to give away in just a few moments. But first, we want to tell you about this, because the federal government is proposing changes to federal elections that will make our systems more secure. Global National's chief political correspondent, David Aiken is here to explain more about these changes. Well, there's a whole lot of them. First, for the first time, our election law will take direct aim at so-called foreign entities. That's anything from a foreign government like Russia or China to foreign lobbyists and multinationals. And it makes it as difficult as possible for those foreign entities to spread disinformation or propaganda aimed at changing Canadian minds. Among other things, the bill would prohibit foreign entities from spending any money to influence Canadian elections. It would be a criminal offense to sell ad space to foreign entities. That's a new obligation that would imply to everyone from global television to Facebook. And it will be illegal to mess around with someone else's computer data during an election campaign. And there are also new advertising spending limits for both political parties and third parties. And a brand new limit on the maximum length of an election campaign, 50 days, 5-0. So we will never again see the marathon 78-day campaign we saw in 2015, Robin. All right, David, what's the political reaction so far to these reforms? Well, first of all, everyone is saying these changes are coming too late. Elections Canada had warned the government that if it wanted changes in place in time for the 2019 general election, those changes needed to be in effect at the end of April, today. And instead, the legislative process is just starting today. They've known about this deadline for more than a year. And on the last day of handing in their homework, they're rushing in with a bunch of things and saying, don't worry, everything's going to be okay. 
And both New Democrats and conservatives say, you know, the Trudeau liberals have a lousy track record on following through on electoral reform. The evidence? Remember the prime minister broke an unambiguous promise to get rid of our first-past-the-post system. And the prime minister has left the post of chief electoral officer vacant for 488 days and counting. Thank you, David. Uh, meanwhile, today is an important date for those who want to throw their hat in the ring for a chance at being Winnipeg's next mayor. You you're throwing your hat in, Brett? Uh, uh, mm, mm-hmm. No. No? Okay. Well, it's the first day candidates for mayor can officially register for a chance to unseat the incumbent uh, mayor, Brian Bowman. Bowman confirmed in March he would be running for re-election after dis- discussing his future with his wife and kids. Anybody looking to run must be a Canadian citizen. You check that box. 18 years of age. Tick. And a resident of Manitoba. I think you really should go for it. Business development professional Jenny Motkaluk said in an email to Global News she will be registering to run. This year's civic election will be held October 24th. Candidates have until September 18th to get their name on the ballot. For those looking to run for councillor, registration opens as of June 30th. The RM of Piney, Manitoba, looking at a map right now, very southeast of our province has declared a state of emergency as it fights a wild land fire that is growing in the Badger area. Badger is just off of highway or provincial trunk, highway 203 north of Piney, which is at the intersections of highways 12 and 201. That community is 74 kilometers southeast of Steinbach. And a wildfire started over the weekend, pushing flames to within two kilometers of Badger. So we are joined live on 680 CJOB by the Deputy Reeve for the RM of Piney, Ken Proshu. Mr. Proshu, good morning to you, sir. Uh, good morning. What sort of update can you give us this morning as it pertains to these to this imp- fire in particular uh, close to Badger? Well... We we are currently waiting for uh, an update ourselves because, uh, as I had mentioned before, the fire is on uh, is on Crown land, so we're waiting for Sustainable Development to give us uh, an update, and they're having a meeting this morning, so they they're we're hoping to hear from them uh, around ten or shortly after ten in that regard. Now, you've declared a state of emergency. What does making that declaration, uh, does that enable things to happen? Yes, and what, what we, when we initially installed it, 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 it was for, uh, we looked at the community of Badger. We, we, have, uh, we had set up a command post at, uh, at Badger, and the office of the fire commission was bringing in uh, what they call a, a sprinkler system. And should there have been a problem, uh, we want to install the sprinkler systems because should they have to evacuate, that would be the last things that are turned on to try to save the homes. And the state of emergency allowed us to enter uh, private property without having to contact every individual because we have uh, a number of uh, seasonal uh, residents in in Badger, so that meant to try and and get hold of them all. That was the the reason for declaring the state of emergency at that time. So for those unfamiliar uh, with the geography in this part of our province, maybe you could paint a picture for us, Mr. Proshu. It's in regards to where the the area is or... uh... Yes, Okay, it's it's in uh, in the southeast portion uh, 
and it's within this what we call the Sandylands Provincial Forest. It's uh, it's it's they, we have a lot of uh, it's it's a pine area, and uh, we're north of uh, the community of uh, of Piney and uh, Badger is. Uh, is east of the communities of uh, Woodridge and Carrick. How many people would live there? In Badger, we have approximately uh, twelve, I believe, twelve full-time residents in uh, in in Badger. But we probably have oh sixty or plus uh, uh, seasonal uh, residents in in Badger. Do you have any restrictions in place as it pertains to transportation, for example, for traveling? We don't, but based on uh, the natural resources, as uh, they have put in, in a level one, which is the restriction of travel uh, between uh, eight eight a.m. and uh, and eight in the evening. And that's for uh, all backcountry roads, motorized all vehicles. All backcountry roads, yes, because we our RM is is a little different than most other RMs in the in the fact that. Uh, we have 75% of the land within our uh, RM is uh, crown land, which is owned by the province. So they they make the decisions on, on that portion. Well, we appreciate you making that distinction and pointing that out to us. Uh, we are speaking with Ken Proshu. He's Deputy Reeve for the RM of Piney. That part of our province is under a state of emergency as it battles a wildfire. We will uh, get that update from the province at 10 o'clock this morning. Thank you, Mr. Proshu. No problem. Ken Proshu, Deputy Reeve for the RM of Piney, joining us live on 680 CJOB. A complete burn ban also in effect there. No fires permitted in the RM of Piney, including burn barrels, fire pits, and open fires, and that will be in effect until further notice. I always like to see what he's got up his sleeve. Yeah. Wait for the lyrics. Um, Is it Oasis? I think so, yeah. Someday you will find me A champagne supernova, a champagne supernova in the sky. Ah, yes, champagne supernova. Mm-hmm. You know, unless it comes from France, you can't call it champagne, and I think Oasis is from Great Britain. That's true. So uh, maybe they're breaking the rules there. Mackling McGarry with you on this Tuesday morning. Happy Tuesday. Hope you're having a great start to your day. We were just discussing the wildfire situation in southeastern Manitoba. We've got wildfire and forest fire uh, alerts basically across the province. We'll be updating you on that throughout this morning and throughout the day here on 680 CGOB. Wildfires that hit California last fall were in the heart of the Napa Valley. We'll find out if that will have an impact on the future of quality and or pricing from Napa and Sonoma. And to find out if we are in store for a wine shortage, my God! Christopher Sprague is here. He is the sommelier at 529 Wellington. Mr. Sprague, welcome back. Good morning. Thank you so much. So what's going on with the wine? Uh, is it when you see the word wine prices expected to spike as global production falls to 60 or low? Like, is is this an overreaction? Uh, it's slightly. It, it, there's been a couple of factors that have happened in the wine world that are causing some real problems. California wildfires last year. Um, it affected Napa, Sonoma, and then they, Santa Barbara got really badly hit too. And more importantly is that those areas, like we know all about Napa and Sonoma, but there is... A, 
areas on the outskirts like Lodi and these other smaller areas that don't produce super high quality but produce a lot of grapes for bulk wines. Mm. That's going to be a very, very big problem. And okay. we also, they uh, happened in 2015 and 2016, Europe got hit really bad too. So lots of drought everywhere and grape production has really spiked down. The good news is 2017 is going to be good in Europe where uh, California is going to have a real problem. So this fire is a very, very serious thing that happened. And it's scary because it could really affect the flavors in the wine, too. Smoke damage is bad. Very bad. So the the grapes that survived, could they be taking on some of the effects of of these forest fires, Christopher? Exactly. A few years back, it happened in the Okanagan, um, where they had those massive wildfires as well. And you can taste the residue on the grapes. Like, smoke is a a damaging. I think there's a little bit of factor that it might taste okay if it had a little touch. A little smokiness isn't bad in a big, big, rich red, but a lot of it is not going to be good. the good news is that the Okanagan in the last couple of years have actually, the amount of grapes they brought in, the quality wines being made has gone up. So Canada wine is on a, is a good upswing. Same with uh, Niagara as well and Nova Scotia. We've been producing good wines in Canada whoa, the last whoa, couple of years. Whoa, whoa. Nova Scotia? Nova Scotia is coming big. <laughs> All this time we spent together, you've not mentioned Nova Scotia even one time. Christopher, are you holding out <laughs> yeah, on us? There are always is little secrets in the wine world. That's the best part. <laughs> yeah, Nova Scotia is starting to come on the map. I've uh, tasted a few wines. The last couple of vintages have been quite good. Really? Mainly, mainly leading towards whites. Um, and there's a, a producer there called Benzerin Bridge that probably makes, I, we're talking about champagne, could rival champagne. The wines are, the sparkling wines they make are very, very good. Absolutely blown away right now. Had zero (laughs) idea that Nova Scotia was a player in the wine world. Yeah, I think the next player too is going to happen is Quebec. Quebec started planting a lot of grapes along the St. Lawrence. The temperature, climate, everything's there. So we'll see in a couple of years. I haven't tasted too much surprises yet, but it's coming. Now, you mentioned Europe uh, should bounce back in early 2017, some of their coldest weather in years. And uh, output uh, the top three uh, wine-producing countries, you can confirm this, Italy, Spain, and France. Absolutely. And the output from there dropped almost 15% from the year before, but you're saying it's going to bounce back? Well, Europe has had a tough couple of years, especially in those regions. France was hit the hardest in 15 and 16. 17 is going to be a savior for them a little bit. But on the other hand, Spain and Italy got really hurt in 17 as well. Lots of you're right about the cold, and there was a lot of hail, a lot of damage to grapes. So you're... You look at Spain and Italy, they probably produce half the world's grapes. Um, France is always does produce a lot of wine, but it's more known for big quality, where Spain and Italy produces a, a monster amount of grapes. And with their own consumers and their countries drinking so much wine, less and less is going to be shipped our way, and it's going to get much more expensive. Now, that's all in the Northern Hemisphere. What about Southern Hemisphere? What's happening in Australia, Chile, South, uh, South Africa? Uh, well, South Africa is a bit of a renaissance right now. The wines have gotten excellent, and we see a lot more coming into our market, which is great, because it was yeah, South Africa is a long way away. But I think Manitoba has really started to grow what they're drinking from South Africa. It's, uh, it's definitely, they're starting to put more wine out into the world, which is good. Australia has always been in trouble. They've had, like California, they had massive droughts over the last couple of years. And drought is good for grapes for the first couple of years, and then it starts having effect. Less grapes um, become less concentrated, and the vines actually start hurting. They can weather a couple of years of good drought and actually make good grapes, and then it starts really affecting the quality. 
Christopher Sprague is our guest. He is the sommelier at 529 Wellington. And we have a couple of other things we want to make sure we talk about before we run out of time, including the competition for the world's best sommelier. Yes, it's coming. Well, it's actually the quarterfinals. So it's happening for the first time ever in Canada. Uh, the best sommelier of the world happens every, it's kind of like the Olympics, every four years. Okay. So you have to have quarterfinalists. And this year, for the first time, uh, Canada is hosting in Montreal. The end of May on the 24th is hosting the Somalia of the Americas. So North America, South America, there's going to be 22 competitors from the different countries, uh, two from each country, and we'll see who comes out on top. You're in it? Are you on your way to Montreal? I'm on my way, but I'm going as a judge. (laughs) As a judge? Yes, absolutely. Well, well. And uh, are there any Manitobans in the running for this? No, we we sent somebody to compete, but I have to say the the two candidates from Quebec this year, they're phenomenal. They have a real chance at winning not only this, but could really place in the world's competition as well. Why aren't you in it? I'm too old. <laughs> too old? <laughs> oh, wow. yeah, you, you, lose your, you lose your sharpness in your palate a little bit. I think I've drank too much wine at this point. <laughs> <laughs> well, there'll be lots of wine consumed over uh, several days coming up this weekend, the, the, the annual wine festival coming up, and you're telling me that festivities are, have sold out not on every front, but uh, several of the high-profile events this weekend are already a complete sellout. Oh, I, I, all the events leading up, they've have been having what they call the wind down events every day this week. And last week, there's been events uh, uh, showcasing different regions in the world. And they've been selling out, too. It's amazing how much the wine festival has grown in Winnipeg. I love to see it. And it's such a wonderful week because we have so many great winemakers in town. And and it's nice to be able to talk to – when you get to go, you get to talk to the people who actually are involved in the winery, not just reading it in a book or tasting it on the shelf. It's amazing. Is it weird for people who go to the wine festival who are the actual wine enthusiasts who are going to learn and they want to try? Because you've got the, the buckets right beside each – uh, stand where you're, you know, you're supposed to take a sip and then spit it out. But meanwhile, they're surrounded by all kinds of people who are just there to drink as much wine have as a they. Good time. Yeah. Well, I think I think wine should be open to everybody like that. Um, and the festivals have been very smart because they have the evening sessions, which I think is great, and that's a good time to go out and actually hey, drink some wine, not even just taste it. But the afternoon session session on Saturday is always a great time because it, it's a little quieter. It's not everybody there trying to get as much wine into them as possible, but it's a good chance to actually have time to talk and taste the wines. Yeah, it's uh, fantastic to grow your wine knowledge, something that I hadn't done in my younger years until I moved to the Okanagan and really learned about the wines and went on wine tours. And I think the more you know and the more the little idiosyncrasies that you're looking for, the underlying tastes and flavors uh, that are hinted at as opposed to boldly in your face, uh, the more more fun it becomes. Oh, I totally agree. for me, the, the the only way you can truly learn about wine is to drink it, right? And that having the opportunity to, especially at something like the wine festival, when you can taste wine side by side, you can really see that, oh, I like Cabernet. I don't like Merlot. I prefer Shiraz. You can see all the different aspects of it when you can taste them side by side. You can go to the store and buy one bottle of wine and decide if you like that bottle or not. But when you can taste 50, 60, or 200 at the same time, you can really hone your skills and what you like and what the differences are. Italy has a flavor. France has a flavor. You know, Canada has a flavor. And you see if you like them or not. Christopher Sprague is the sommelier at 529 Wellington. He'll be at the Saturday afternoon tasting session at the Wine Fest. And congratulations, by the way. I see you're the new president of CAPS, the Canadian Association of Professional Sommeliers. That would be me. All right, man. Hey, thanks for joining us. It's always fun to have you in studio. Absolute pleasure.
For many of us, May is a time to get our spring chores done, and that can mean spring cleaning. Half the problem is, uh, what do I do with all this stuff that I've collected either over the winter or over the last several years? You may find yourself with a pile of things that are suitable for recycling, but you could be doing more harm than good if you don't take them where they ought to go. To get the goods on what's allowed in blue bins and the new 4R Center on Panet Admission and similar locations, we are joined by Mark Kinsley, Supervisor of Waste Diversion for the City of Winnipeg. And we enjoy visiting with Mark very much. Good morning, Mark. Good morning, gentlemen. Thanks for having me on. Oh, absolutely our pleasure. So why don't we start with that new 4R Center? I'm going to be, uh, I'm going to be self-centered here for just a moment because this is in my neighborhood, uh, Panet and Mission. It saves me an awful lot of time if I've got larger recyclables, I've got paint, electronics, etc. Well, why don't I let you run down the things that I can take to this new uh, recycling center on Mission and Panet? We're very glad to hear that that you and and we've gotten that feedback of our newest of three uh, for our Winnipeg depots located at um, eleven twenty. Uh, sorry, that's the Pacific one, four twenty nine Panet Road. Um, so yeah, the third one, it's it's bigger and better, and and we've made a lot of improvements. To, uh, learned a lot through the the three, and it's similar to the other two um, at uh, eleven twenty Pacific Avenue and seventeen seventy seven Brady Road. So this is where we're talking about stuff that we can keep out of the landfill. So, you know, the list is is quite large, um, and um, it's anything from electronics, batteries, household hazardous waste. So, like, all those chemicals everybody has, paint, you know, it's been sitting there collecting dust, and I'm one of the worst. Just I'll use that. I'll use that later. Um, But this gives the opportunity, like, you know, you, you, you admit that it's just, it's, past its time so you can bring it down to the 4R depots um, including oil, um, clean fill, lumber, um, appliances, um, masonry, tires. It's a really great list um, and and anytime anybody wants more information it's very comprehensive on our website winnipeg.ca. Paniton Mission, that's it's nowhere even close to you, Greg. That's not your. That's not your neighborhood. Oh yeah, just get down fifty nine and where you go. I'm there in about seven and a half minutes. Well, yeah, yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. Look at that. Hey, uh, let me ask you this, and because Mark, <laughs> yesterday I got home and someone had had dumped uh, a glass top table in the the trash bin, a huge glass top, and then just the remnants of what was left of the table. So that I wish they hadn't done that. I'm guessing, is that something that could be brought to a 4R Winnipeg Depot? Yes, but the difference or, or the, the detail is that anything with our waste diversion program, so that includes our 4R um, system, your curbside collection, even your yard waste curbside, is that people really need to learn um, what's acceptable in each program, but also in what form or state. So that table you'd have to remove and separate everything. So if it's got a wood frame, um, that would get taken um, away, and then the glass can be dropped off at the Fort Winnipeg Depot. So there's there's a lot of detail, and I'll admit some confusion with, with some of our programs, but you know what? They're, they're uh, carefully designed for the different facilities that they're going to. So there is some stuff to learn, and we're always trying to help people educate and get knowledgeable on the acceptable items for each program. 
So, you know, Mark, I think we're doing a much better job at diverting waste away from the landfill. But some of that stuff uh, isn't supposed to be and isn't really suitable for recycling. How are we doing? You were kind of touching on it there, but how are we doing at recognizing the different stuff that maybe we imagine is recyclable but genuinely isn't? You know what? We're we're doing an admirable job. Admirable. Um but there's always room for improvement, right? Which I, is probably a cliche at this point. But um, and and it's been in the news a lot. With uh, not to get into a lot of detail, but China has changed a lot of specifications where recycling has been sent to um, for many years. So that's brought on a lot of um, um, new information and just awareness of of really everybody needs to learn what's acceptable in Winnipeg. And I'm really trying to stress it anytime I get a chance that. A program in Toronto or somewhere else may have a few different things, even more things. So in Winnipeg, we've designed our program specifically for the facilities that we're doing. But Winnipeg is doing a great job um, as far as uh, we call it contamination, putting into these programs. We're below average um, across the country. So that's a good thing. But the better the the material comes into all these programs the better chance it has for us to sort it out properly and the better chance it has to get remade or reused repurposed so that's it all ties back to that so important detail of just knowing what's acceptable in winnipeg for each different program but they're doing winnipeg is doing a great job if I bring in a bit of trash or a bag of trash or, or pardon me, of recyclable material to the 4-Hour Winnipeg Depot, but there is also garbage in there because you can't bring garbage to those, how much of uh, how much confusion does that end up or inefficiencies or whatever, how much does that cause at the depots once people have to sort that out? Yeah, I mean, there's some um, reaction. Um, unfortunately, we do have to send that away with people. Um, the Pacific and Panit for our Winnipeg depots do not accept garbage. Appreciate you mentioning that. The Brady Road does because um, obviously that's where the landfill is. So, you know, um, it's just, this, this is a transition. People are still learning how the program's working. So when they come to Panit and Pacific with garbage, they are going to leave with it. But our staff are trained to um, educate people and, and explain, you know, why and how uh, are the system works. So I think it's, it's, it is getting better and we anticipate that uh, people will get more comfortable and um, understanding about how it's set up. So, yeah, we, we uh, encourage people to, before you leave your your uh your home to to go to a four-hour winnipeg depot is just to get familiar with what's acceptable and there's even packing tips on the on the website so that you know you because it's it's a it works in a series uh where you drop off one thing after another so it's you know the first thing you put in is the last thing that goes out on site so that helps as well yeah, there's a series of uh, sort of check stops, right? And very helpful staff, I have to say, Mark. Uh, my couple of experiences at the new Brady Road, I've yet to be at Panet and Mission, uh, but extremely helpful. Everything right down to having shovels and brooms uh, lying around so I can sweep out my trailer or the back of my truck. Somebody there to help. It's so clean. Uh, such a such a dichotomy versus driving into the landfill as we did for years and years. So uh, how about the hours of these places before we 
we uh, let you go, Mark, because I know the one at Panet and Mission is closed on Wednesday. So uh, sometimes if you're not educating yourself in advance, you might be in for a surprise you didn't anticipate. Yeah, yeah. There's still people getting used to the schedule. And, and um, so Panet and Pacific are open um, every day from 10 a.m. to 6, a, 6 p.m., um, but closed on Wednesdays. And then for weekends, they're open 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And they're also closed on stat holidays. But then Brady, again, just it's the bigger facility overall. Um, they have hours of uh, Monday to Friday, 8 a.m. Um, to 8 p.m. And then Saturday and Sunday, 9 a.m. to 5 p.m. And they're only closed on those three days, New Year's, Remembrance Day, and Christmas Day. Mark Kinsley, Supervisor of Waste Diversion for the City of Winnipeg. Thank you very much for joining us this morning. Always a pleasure, fellas. Thanks. And by the way, seasonal curbside yard waste collection, that started yesterday in the City of Winnipeg in Yard Waste Collection Area A and uh, the week of uh, May 7 for Homes in Yard Waste Collection Area B. Canadians looking at a very expensive 2018 when it comes to gas. In B.C., the price of gas hit a dollar Sixty-one nine on Monday. A dollar sixty-one. Yuck! That's the highest price point ever for North America, by the way. I'm just trying to do the math per gallon. That's got to be about nine bucks a gallon. Yeah, I don't know. Well, maybe our, our next guest will know. In Manitoba, gas is at an average of one point two seven six. That's up nearly thirty-one point five cents from last year's average at the same time. So, to get some perspective on why gas prices are going up so high and how long they might stay there, we're joined live on six eighty CJOB by Michael Irvin, senior vice president for Kent Group Limited. Mr. Irvin, good morning to you. Good morning. Now, um, your math is probably much better than mine. Do you have an idea of what that 161 translates into per gallon? Is it, it's times, what, uh, what is it, 3.178 or 3718, something like that? Well, you know, I'm all metric myself, so I haven't done the math. And at this sort of time in the morning, my math is probably worse than yours. But uh, it's high. There's no question about it. Um, you know, but luckily, compared to Vancouverites, uh, folks living in Winnipeg, uh, aren't that badly hit uh, boy uh, it's uh, it's a high price for sure not as high as uh, what i've seen as a record for uh, winnipeg which was in 2013 in late may where it hit dollar uh, 35.9 though yeah, it looks like it's uh, just over six bucks a gallon. That's Canadian. Canadian, Canadian and then you, if you want to do it U.S., yeah, it's uh, kind of frightening, right? So, uh, what what's at the source of this? We're we're hearing various reports. We we figured we, we'd get another perspective on this, Michael, uh, from your point of view. What is causing this? Well, you know, it's, a lot of people like to reduce things to one reason, and there isn't one reason. Uh, crude prices aren't the reason. Um, you know, everybody knows that the prices of crude oil today are much lower than they have been historically. Uh, but other factors come into play, and, and two really that stand out are one, the wholesale price of gasoline, uh, which is high. Um, so that's, that's a, a factor that is really driven by supply and demand of gasoline. Much like crude oil, it's a commodity, and when it's in short supply, that commodity's price like any commodity, is high, and that's what we're seeing right now. Uh, that's being driven by uh, an awful lot of production um, in the U.S. Gulf Coast, actually going offshore to markets like Mexico and South America. And so that is driving up 
production at North American refineries basically to 100%, and, and that's causing wholesale prices to go up. So is there a point then, do you figure, where people will have to park their cars because they simply can't afford to pay for gas, at least at levels that they're using it currently? Well, you know, people need their cars and they've, they've got to buy gas, which is why gasoline is such a contentious subject um, in the public and uh, in politics. Uh, it's, it's something that people feel that they're over the barrel on, no pun intended. But, uh, yeah, it, people have to drive their kids to soccer and, and go to work and back and vacation. And we've seen over 30 years the relationship between demand for gasoline and the price not having any correlation. In other words, um, high prices don't deter uh, demand. And uh, for that matter, low prices tend not to encourage demand. So it's what in economics term is called an inelastic price. Uh, so you know, people just have to have to do their thing. As we see the the world price go up, however slightly, it's uh, obviously much better now than it was a year ago, uh, the world oil price. Typically, the Canadian dollar tends to rise with the, the, the price and the cost of oil. We're not really seeing that right now. Any idea why, Michael? Well, you've hit on the other factor that really explains why prices are so high. So because of the exchange rate right now, Consumers are paying about 15 cents per liter more for gasoline than if the dollar traded at par. So that, in addition to high wholesale prices, really explains why the pump price is what it is what it is today. The exchange rate, paradoxically, has an awful lot to do with lack of pipeline capacity to get crude oil out to market from uh, from Western Canada. Uh, that's depressing the price. That's reducing Canada's balance of trade with the rest of the world and that's why we see a low dollar at least uh, in large part now the prime minister uh he is using bc's high gas prices to attempt to sell the trans mountain pipeline during a speech on monday he said quote i know that part of the challenge that folks across the lower mainland and bc are facing right now is related to the fact that we are connected so closely to the u.s market and to what happens in the united states um, would the pipeline help the average consumer save a few bucks? No, it, it wouldn't in the rest of Canada. It would somewhat in BC because BC in particular is, is very constrained by, by gasoline supply. Uh, the, the, the Trans Mountain Pipeline is running at full capacity with respect to both crude oil and gasoline supplies because gasoline does come down that pipeline as well. The, uh, the, the benefit of, of having more crude production get to tidewater, as they say, would raise the price of crude oil in Canada, uh, would, would help to you know, moderate the, the global crude price ever so slightly. Um, so there wouldn't be any particular benefit in terms of the price at the pump. There'd be a huge benefit in terms of Canada's economy, however. Why is there not a move to to create more capacity in terms of of uh, of making gasoline in in a refinery in Canada? Is it simply too expensive to build a refinery that would make a dent in this issue, Michael? Well, whether a new refinery is built in Canada or the United States 
or even in Europe, uh, you know, that would create more um, spare capacity for producing gasoline and diesel and other products. But the fact of the matter is, no matter where you look in the world, um, with a few exceptions, but certainly in, in Canada, the U.S. and Europe, there's just no business case for it. Uh, you know, refineries are extraordinarily expensive to build. Um, an average one would be running 12 to $15 billion. That would be something that would have to be justified over a lifespan of 40 years. And if you look down 40 years from now, how many people are going to be driving cars with internal combustion engines? So we're caught in the middle here a little bit, right? Because we know technology is changing. There's a move to to move towards more electric and hybrid electric vehicles. And so the necessity or the willingness of these large oil companies to invest in something like a refinery is obviously uh, somewhat depleted. Well, that's right. I mean, would you put $15 billion into a refinery that maybe 10 years later is only running at, at you know, half of its uh, stated capacity. It just doesn't make a whole lot of sense. You know, in the meantime, if uh, the U.S. stopped importing gasoline or exporting gasoline into Mexico and South America, there would be uh, an immediate improvement in um, pump prices, in other words, a lowering of them. But, you know, it's a free market economy, and, and uh, the, the demand in Mexico and South America, because their refineries have not kept up with uh, increased demand, uh, is in large part why we see uh, refiner margins really at extraordinarily high levels right now. Well, Mr. Irvin, we thank you very much uh, for offering some of your perspective, and we thank you for your time. It's been my pleasure. Michael Irvin, Senior Vice President for Kent Group Limited, and one of our listeners has texted us something that I think that kind of sums it all up. It's a, it's a meme of Leonardo DiCaprio from, I believe, The Wolf on Wall Street, and it says, My wife says let's go someplace expensive tonight. So I took her to the gas station. Also getting expensive, your hydro bill. We've just been handed some uh, breaking news here from the Public Utilities Board. Yeah, the Manitoba Public Utilities Board, the pub, approved a 3.6% average increase to Manitoba hydro electricity rates for 2018-2019. That comes into effect on June 1st. 2018, a month from now. It is a far cry from what Manitoba Hydro requested, a 7.9% increase. We'll have more details on that throughout the day. Also, some uh, breaking news from the Manitoba Liberal Party, which appears to be imploding a little bit. They've suddenly lost some of their key members in the lead-up to a by-election, where leader Dougal Lamont is seeking a seat in the legislature. Party President uh, Paul Bro, Communications Director Ian McCausland, and a co-coordinator for by-election volunteers Michelle Finley all resigned this week. So we'll have more details on that throughout the day as well. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass Jerry and Shanelie Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. Na, 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 na.